So jumping into the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts this, this text, Matthew writes, because it's easy to just want to like jump right in to the Beatitudes, but the first verse is, is really interesting to me. Matthew starts by writing, seeing the crowds. Now, when, when in the Greek, this, this word seeing means so much more than just like an ocular observation where light is emitted into your eyes and you receive the signals that help you interpret what it is that's around you. Instead, seeing in Greek also means knowing, understanding, comprehending the condition around you. And so when this text, Matthew, starts with seeing the crowds, Jesus sees into their hearts, into their souls, and knows their need, right? And that that becomes so incredibly important as he begins this sermon that Jesus sees them, that he knows them. And today, Jesus sees you, and he knows you. He knows where your heart is. He knows where you're hurting. He knows where you're excited. He knows where you're fearful. He knows where you're strong. He knows where you're weak. He knows you. Some of you are thinking, oh, crap. (laughs) And some of you are thinking, thank goodness. Someone does. And so seeing these people, seeing the crowd... Jesus begins this most amazing, most perfect sermon ever. And I wonder sometimes, as we think about the own, our own perspectives that we have in life, I think if we could just see God, it would make all the difference in the world. And now I don't mean like visibly see him, but if we could see him, if we could know him, if we could understand his greatness, his majesty, his power, his might, his love, his compassion, all of that. If we could know him, if we could know the inheritance that we have coming to us, if we could get that, then all the the piddly issues that we have in this world will seem exactly that, small, meaningless, not worth comparing. And Jesus launches then into the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes in general are the gateway into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And the very first Beatitude is like a gateway to the gateway, so it's the door to the door. It's interesting, uh, just a little while ago, we were talking about the arch, the St. Louis arch, right? And that the St. Louis arch is really, really, really cool. Has anybody seen that in person? Not pictures, but like in person. It's this amazing thing that visually it is a gateway to the West, right? So it's, it's a very visual, symbolic way of saying, I'm entering into the, the east side of the United States, on the east side of the Mississippi River, and I'm going to journey into the wild land that is the west, and you got to cross the Mississippi. And that one particular place was an important crossing in St. Louis, and so this gateway into the west, into the, the amazing, the, the wonderful land beyond the Mississippi, you had to go through this gateway. The same is true for us this morning. Before we jump into the riches and the wonder and the adventure that lies within the Sermon on the Mount, you have to first go through the gateway of the Beatitudes. 
And as such, going through that gateway, God pours out blessing upon blessing upon blessing on you. So we enter into that this morning. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This first beatitude, the the blessing of all blessings, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, blessed is this, it's kind of an interesting word that sometimes in our English language has just become a throwaway word, like like when someone sneezes, God bless you. Or if somebody is being particularly, eh, (laughs) bless their hearts. But we lose the real meaning of blessing, and blessing has this sense that is this calm, this peace, this fulfillment, this even happiness and joy mixed together, a fullness of contentment of you've got everything that you could possibly desire, especially concerning grace, forgiveness, salvation, everlasting life, right? The most meaningful thing possible you have an abundance of all you need, all you need. And yet sometimes it's easy for us to think that we need more, right? If you just consider your own world and your own life and circumstances, is there something that you, if you could, if you could change something just like that, snap your fingers and have it be different, and then that would be better? But God says, no, you've, you've got an abundance of the most important thing. You have enough. I love movies and sometimes I like treasure hunting movies and National Treasure is a great movie with Nicolas Cage where he's finding and searching for this, this treasure of all treasures that the, that the American forefathers have, have gathered together and secured and protected for, for generations and generations and, and he finally, he, uh, spoiler alert, he finds it. But when he enters into the treasure room, it's like that, that typical treasure room moment where he takes, the, he takes the, the torch, right, and he touches it to this trough filled with probably some kind of pyrotechnic powder, and, it, and it, it, it ignites and goes, right, and just illuminates a treasure room filled with gold, and then another room filled with gold, and then another room filled with gold, and another room, and another room, and another room, so much so that you can't even see the final room. And it would be like this moment where if you were that person, you were Nick Cage, and you were just watching those treasure rooms knowing that this treasure is now in my possession and then thinking oh my goodness my bank account is so low how in the world am I going to pay my Duke energy bill and yet that's exactly what we do spiritually speaking right Jesus says you are blessed beyond imagination with all the treasure and value of your salvation and life everlasting in the kingdom of God and yet we pull back and we go oh my goodness but today I've got these stupid little problems that I'm dealing with and those silly little issues that we get our minds so wrapped around we turn into such big monumental deals and God is standing back going what did you miss the treasure rooms that I've just revealed in front of you. Keep a perspective. So here's the doorway. We go in. Blessed are the poor in spirit to recognize that that we are in and of ourselves, by ourselves, spiritually bankrupt. We do not have what it takes. But it's only when you are completely empty that the Holy Spirit can go, now you've got room for me. And he pours himself in. 
And it keeps pouring until your cup overflows and you have more than you can hold on to. Now you are blessed. And with this blessing in mind, Jesus invites us through this sermon to the other Beatitudes, to know his blessings that we have. And he divides the Beatitudes into a couple of different categories. The first category that he divides them up into are our broken condition. Right? For those of you who feel like there are just some aspects of your life that's broken, God has blessings for you. So the first, the first broken piece of life that he digs into is he says, those who mourn. And then he says, those who are meek and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, when we say those who mourn, he's talking about just more than what we do when a loved one passes away, right? That's when we mourn. We are, we're grieving. We miss that person. We don't mourn like the rest of the world who has no hope, but we mourn knowing that we'll see them again, but we still miss them and their presence in our life today. Right? As I think about my mom and my birth dad, I miss them. I know they are with God and don't miss me at all. But I miss them. I know that I'll get to see them someday. But I wish I could see them today. Now this is true mourning for sure. But when Jesus says mourn, he means this and even more than that. Right? This is a type of mourning that doesn't just look at death as the ultimate consequence for sin, but looks back at all of the consequences for sin and brokenness in this world and mourns the heart that breaks over all that is wrong and broken in the world today. Turn on the news. Mourn. Because that's not how God made this to be. Death was never a part of the plan. War was the furthest thing from his mind when he said, let there be light. And humanity comes in and makes a mess of it. And it's broken. And Jesus, looking out over the city of Jerusalem, he weeps. He's mourning because they look like sheep without a shepherd. You know, God watching things that are happening in this world, he mourns that that is not the way he designed it to be. And we'll get to that in just a little bit more. Because our God is not out of control. He is still massively, sovereignly in control. But this world is broken. And those who mourn, if you mourn that fact, if you mourn the fact that this is not the way that creation was intended to be, then blessings are yours. The blessings of God are yours. Now, for those of you who are meek, meek does not mean weak. Meek is not a doormat. Meek is... Being able to have strength and ability and power to do something, but you choose not to. Meek is expressed by Jesus on the cross. At any point in time, could have commanded angels concerning him to come and take him. But he was meek, and so he remained. Meek is Jesus talking to Pilate and saying, The only authority and power you have, you have because my Father gave it to you. Meek is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, Lord, take this cup of suffering from me, but not my will be done. Let your will be done. See, meekness seeks the will of God. If you're seeking the will of God, do you have blessings coming to you? Blessings are already on their way. In fact, blessings are already yours. 
and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, many people, I think, can relate to at least in one point in their life, if not in this very moment, of being hungry. Right now, I'm hungry. I didn't eat breakfast. That's my fault. That's on me. But I'm hungry. Very few of us, I think, know what it means to starve. To be nervous and concerned and worried about where your next meal is coming from. Some of us do, but not all of us. But all of us can connect to being hungry. We know that feeling in our stomach. We know that we, we feel like our blood sugar is maybe a little bit lower than usual. We have less energy. We have less ability to focus. Our head's kind of foggy. We feel really lethargic or maybe really thirsty. You've been out, you've been out working outside in the, in, the, in the heat of Florida and baking in the sun and you just feel parched and your mouth is dry, your throat is dry, you've stopped sweating. You understand that you desperately need to hydrate. And for those moments, what you crave the most is something that's filled with flavor that rushes into your mouth, that, that tastes good, that has great texture, that's filling, that fills your stomach in a way that you feel satisfied. A water that's cool and refreshing, that you can feel the cold all the way down your throat. God says, I want you to have that same desire for my word. I want you to hunger so badly for that that you can't wait on Sunday morning to come and worship. We have some people who, who live at the Haven who get a recording or a broadcast of our 8 o'clock service and then they come to 9.30. They're hungry. They come in, it's always funny, they, they let you know what they think about the sermon coming into church. That was a good one today, Pastor, or huh, that's still you preaching, huh? <laughs> sometimes but they hunger for it people who have a newfound love for the word of god that keep turning pages and can't put it down you absorb it you hunger and you crave it now here's the crazy thing is is the more you consume of god's word the more you consume of him and his righteousness the more you want Right? And it's not that you're starving for it like you're going to perish without, but that you just keep receiving and it is so amazing. You just want more and more and more and you want it for those around you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for his name's sake. And the blessings that you get with these broken wants of mourning, of being meek, of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you shall be comforted. Right, those who see the world from God's perspective longs for it to be renewed and restored. The new heaven, the new earth, exactly the way that God intended it to be. We long for that. Thy kingdom come. Jesus, come back and make your kingdom full in its presence now. God says to you, I will, I promise, but I want you to know this. Before that happens, you already have those blessings today. You are already an eternal person in the family of God today the grace and the forgiveness and the life you have today not in full but you have it today you shall inherit the earth 
Going back to that treasure room picture that I put in your head before, man, I wish that we could, all of us, just for a few moments, stand in the throne room of God as John was carried up by the Holy Spirit during the book of Revelation and shown the throne room of God and the Lamb of God and all of the elders and all of the disciples, all the apostles, all the people of God praising him. I wish that we could get a glimpse of that so that we could look at today and go, the problems of today are so small, I know God has them in his hands. And we get a foretaste of that. We get a foretaste of that today. In a few moments when you come forward and you receive this bread and this wine, the very real presence of Jesus' body and blood, you receive that grace so real, so tangible that you can taste it. You should be satisfied. I can't tell you how many times, it's less than it used to be, but I get this thought in my head when I'm hungry, when I forgot to eat breakfast, or when I did eat breakfast, and now my metabolism has kicked in and turned on, and now I'm really hungry at lunchtime. I think, you know what would taste really good? Is to run down the street and grab some McDonald's. That would be delicious. Have you seen the pictures on TV? They, they just make my mouth water. I can smell it, or like right now, I can taste the salty fries in my mouth. I know how good that is. Some of you are like, yes, let us make that happen. Only to go through the drive-thru, I can smell it in the drive-thru. I can smell the fat that's just waiting to percolate into my body and the cholesterol that's just yearning to harden my arteries. And I unwrap it and it, it looks like garbage. <laughs> it doesn't look anything like the photos and I take a bite of it and it, Tastes like it looks. <laughs> and sometimes we work things up in our minds that we think are going to be so good, only get just sorely disappointed. What God says today is this, I've got blessings for you, and, and I want you to know that the blessings you have in your mind are, are picture perfect, and when you taste it, when you taste it for the very first time, the goodness and the righteousness of God, it will be far better than you ever remember. It'll be far better than you could ever imagine it could be. And you will be satisfied. You will want for nothing. You will be full. And now God makes this transition. Jesus, as he's preaching this Sermon on the Mount, the gateway, doorway of the Beatitudes, he makes a change in the Beatitudes from our broken condition unto a place where we become when we are in Christ. He he shifts it to some characteristics that sound a whole lot like Jesus and in fact are and also you when you are in him. He says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? These sound a whole lot like Jesus, don't they? And when you are in Christ, when Christ is in you, these are who you become as well. The merciful. In moments when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're going to pray that petition that's a dangerous one to pray. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Right? To be merciful means that you start to receive and understand and comprehend the greatness of God's mercy. And you know that the only way you can get even more of it is if you give what you have away. 
Like you receive his mercy and you go, man, I want to hold so much more, but in order to get so much more, I got to give it away. And so you, you, you get more and then you give that away and you just keep becoming a pipeline of God's mercy as it flows into you, out of you, into the lives of those around you. Now, mercy does not just mean, it does mean forgiveness, but it means more than that. That you are merciful when you start seeing the needs of those around you and you start filling them. You are merciful. You see their need and you begin to fill it. And whatever way that looks through your life and the people that God have put around you. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now so far, I don't know about you, but so far I've been able to track through these beatitudes and go, okay, yep, I've done that one. I, I know what it feels like to, uh, to be poor in spirit. I've been there. Uh, yes, I know what it feels like to mourn. Check. I definitely have mourned a time or two in my life. Blessed are the, uh, and you just kind of go through and go through and go through. But I tell you what, when you get to pure in heart, oh dang. I don't think anybody, when they think me, or they shouldn't if they really knew me, would go pure in heart. You know, it's those, those great quests, those epic quest movies where somebody has this job to do that uh, they, they need to do, oh, well, I don't know, like take this ring and they have to destroy this ring because this ring somehow is going to have power over the world, but if the enemy gets this ring, he'll have one power to rule them all. And so he goes on this massive quest to destroy the ring and only somebody who is pure in heart can do this. And at those point in times in the movie, I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. And then they say, but you got to be pure in heart. I'm like, that just disqualified me. And it was only that person who was humble and meek and pure in heart who was able to do this one thing to save the world. I've heard that story before. In fact, before I've heard that story, the story was written of Jesus, who himself was pure in heart, the perfect, holy, blameless Lamb of God, who had this epic quest to save the world as only he could do because he was pure in heart. And I think, well, this, that's great. So it's, it's everybody except for me is pure in heart. Except we say those words, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. When you confess your sins and you receive his absolution, when you come to his table and you receive his sacrifice to receive his grace, he says, I have purified your heart. You are pure in heart. Today, you are pure in heart. When you receive the Lord's Supper in just a few moments, I want you to leave the altar knowing that your heart is pure. Not because of what's come from the inside out, but what's come from above into you. And you are blessed. And he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Right? And this is an area where I've continually found myself as a, as a disciple of God, continually challenged. Right? Because it is my role, it is your role, all of us together who follow after Jesus, to be peacemakers. I'm like, well, what if I don't want to? Right, because there's sometimes, there's sometimes when, when people persecute us for the things that we say on behalf of Jesus, let me, time out, clarification point. 
This uh, blessed are the peacemakers. Um, I'll get to that in just a second. We are called to make relationships better. Right? To see one another, to know and understand and have compassion through the eyes of Jesus and seek peace. And it's so much more fun and so much easier to just want to open up a spiritual can of whoop butt and smite somebody, right? Like, God, you, sm- you, you smote Sodom and Gomorrah. I've got this person. I've got this people group. I've got this ideal. Could you just hit the red button one more time? But that's not what we are called to do. We're called to be peacemakers. And God says when you do these things, when when this is a part of who you are, not because of who you are is so good, but because of who I am in you, because I have filled you with my Holy Spirit, I have empowered you, I have empowered you to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be peacemakers. Here's some blessings that I'm going to pour out onto you. You will receive mercy, which means God is going to treat you not how you deserve him to. (laughs) He'll treat you better. He'll provide for all that you need, not just your forgiveness and life, but your daily bread, your every single need. You will get to see God. To see that it is God who opens up and wakes our hearts up, to open up our eyes, to see him, to know him, his fullness, his goodness. And you will be called sons and daughters of God. You will be adopted into his family. God looks at you and he says, I choose you. Through the waters of my baptism, I have adopted you into my family. I have given you my name. You are mine. And these are the blessings that God pours out for those who are in Christ and Christ is in them. And he makes another change. From talking about our blessings because of who we are as broken, sinful people, who we are as forgiven and set free people, he makes a change into not just who we are, but what we do, the mission that he has for us, the job that he has for us to accomplish. And he says this, blessed are those who are persecuted, reviled, and spoken poorly of for righteousness sake. Now this isn't that God says, when people treat you bad because you've been a jerk, you should expect that. But when people treat you poorly because of how you have voiced the gospel, because of how you have shared love, because of how you have shared forgiveness and grace, when people treat you poorly for that, that's what this blessing is for. I'm pouring it out on you. And sometimes we get in our minds this mission piece of serving God that sometimes bad stuff happens to those who who preach the word of God. Uh, whether they're pastors, whether they're parishioners, whoever you are, when you speak the word of God, the world doesn't like it. The enemy hates it. And will do whatever they can to slow you down or shut you up. And so God knows you need blessing. You need his blessing, full and complete and powerful. And it's easy for us sometimes to think about, well, man, how great is it that God works despite all of these bad happenings in the world. 
But that's not right. See, God works through all those bad happenings in the world. But God's mission that he works in us to bring about his kingdom doesn't happen in spite of persecution, but because of it. Right? Think about the cross. Jesus' salvation for us wasn't given to us despite the cross, but because of it. Because of Jesus' suffering, you are washed clean and given a pure heart. Because of the suffering that you endure for the gospel, not in spite of, but because of that suffering, people come to know him. And they see the power of his grace in their lives. There's a, a very provocative, interesting theologian. His name is N.T. Wright. And he, he speaks this, and I want to end with this today. In the face of all this persecution, in the face of all the blessings that we desperately need in our brokenness and, and who we are in Christ and who we are in mission with him, this is what Wright writes. And so we go to our work in prayer and faith with the sacramental ministry and prayer of the church around and behind us and with the knowledge of the victory of the cross that will one day have its full effect. We expect to suffer, but we know already that we are victorious. This morning, I want to share with you an awakening heart question, something that it's, it's our desire that you would use this question around your lunch table today or, or at home later this afternoon, or maybe when you, you go to school or go to work, ask this question to those around you. How will you use Jesus' blessings to bless someone else this week? Think about all that God has poured into you. How will you use those gifts to bless the building up of his church, to bless the kingdom of God, to share his mercy with those who are in need around you today.